1: radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
2: hi everyone hope you're having a great day it's going to get better because we are back with you trey Yinks is going to be joining us from israel in a matter of moments uh, lieutenant colonel alan west from the border uh, in about 30 minutes Uh, And we have a lot to discuss today. There's a lot to go over. Uh, We're watching Bill Malusian at our border, which is basically busted. And we're also seeing that the president of the United States is going to be out and about. Guess what he's doing? Uh, Talking in our heartland about how great Bidenomics is. Uh, We'll talk about the wisdom there. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know. It's Brian's big three. Number three. Nikki Haley promised.
3: I will not. Not now not ever support raising the gas tax
4: really not now not ever just 24 months later high tax haley flipped
3: let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents that's right
2: there you go uh the maga ad running out 2024 reality check for joe trump's attack plan has uh, set to be launched on nikki haley and more the horse race heating up on all levels
3: number two
5: we had great discussions about the status of the campaign. We also have some great thoughts about how to transition from high-intensity operations to lower-intensity and more surgical operations.
2: Right. I'm sure Israel really appreciated the input. Israel's war uh, felt everywhere, from the streets of New York City to Jerry Seinfeld shows in Syracuse, New York, to obstructing and confronting Alec Baldwin's walk home, to rocket attacks in the Mediterranean, to the tunnels and streets of Gaza, to hostage talks in Qatar. We cover it all. Number one, Biden's deliberate
6: inaction has left Texas to fend for itself. And that is exactly what Texas is doing. I will sign three laws today to better protect Texas
2: and America. There you go. Greg Abbott taking action. I dare you to sue me. Texas takes on the federal government for not protecting our border. And now we'll do it themselves at the cost of billions. But they just have to do it. I think Arizona should do the same thing. Your move, Joe, start going through the courts and making your argument. Trey Yinks is not worried about such things. He's in the eye of the storm, uh, and he's going to be with us shortly. He's Fox News' foreign correspondent. And as you know, what's going on at the border right now, we have our Secretary of Defense there also making announcement about uh, the Houthi rebels are making the Mediterranean a no-go zone for a lot of commercial vessels. Therefore, they're going around the Horn of Uh, They're going around the Horn of Africa in order to avoid the Mediterranean. That's going to up energy prices, food prices, everything. When are we going to neutralize them? Well, it looks like we are putting together a coalition to confront the Houthi rebels, a coalition. We could handle it ourselves. We want other people targeted. So to me, I find that that a little uh, bothersome. We have a great fleet. We want other people taking, I guess— Uh, Part of it, I don't think we can go any further personally and not confront these Houthi rebels, but we don't want to expand the war. Here is uh, Michael Waltz, cut nine.
7: President Trump
8: called them what they were. The Houthis are Iranian-backed terrorists. And in his first months in office, as part of his appeasement strategy, Biden delisted them. And I can't get a straight answer on why they won't Call them what they are uh, and send the right signal to the world, not to mention cut off their money and other types uh, of aid. But, Kaylee, here's here's the fundamental problem. It is the Biden weak appeasement strategy. They couch it in terms that sound innocuous, non escalation. But really what that is, is that is essentially telling the schoolyard bully, no matter what you do, I don't want to escalate. And what is the schoolyard bully take from that? Well, I can get away with taking more lunch money and other kids' lunch money and doing, sewing all kinds of mischief.
2: And he's not wrong. And that's a Green Beret. A guy does war fighting for a living. Now he's wearing a suit in Congress for Florida. Trey Yinks joins us now from uh, Israel. Trey, where are you now?
9: Yeah, hey, Brian. Right now I'm in Tel Aviv at Hostage Square. We've been talking with the family members of those who are still held inside Gaza. And still today, 74 days into the war, Tel Aviv's being targeted from Gaza, air raid sirens sounding earlier here, sending hundreds of thousands of people to bomb shelters.
2: Stunning, right? With with all the action there, with all the pressure, they're still able to send out rockets.
9: Yeah. And it's really remarkable, given how extensive the air campaign against Gaza has been, and the Israelis are operating in both the northern and southern part of the Gaza Strip. Yet still, Hamas and Islamic Jihad have a stockpile of rockets, and they're able to fire them toward major population centers. Now, Israel's missile defense system, the Iron Dome, is still intercepting most of that fire. Not a lot of it is slipping through at this point in the conflict. But as you talked about, there are other threats Israel is facing. It's not just Gaza anymore that they're worried about. It's other Iran-backed actors across the region.
2: Right. Uh, I understand things are heating up with Hezbollah, but back to the hostages' situation what was the, the fallout been from the three that were killed by the IDF over the weekend?
9: So this has really changed the calculation for the Israelis, and it has upped the pressure internally. Yesterday, we were at the Kiria, Israel's version of the Pentagon, for that press conference between Yoav Gallant, the country's defense minister, and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. And they referenced this briefly, but but it was conversations I had outside of that press conference that I found most illuminating. I spoke with a source, a longtime contact of mine, who works in the Kiryat. And that source explained that this was really a shift in the mindset for the Israeli military and the government, because there's an understanding that Israel has to take a step back now and look at their policies and the level of of training for the forces operating inside Gaza. And so there's an understanding as well that troops who are currently in Gaza, we're talking about thousands of Israeli soldiers, will now have to conduct themselves in a way that really ensures they are are triple-checking targets and and locations where they are firing Mm. because of of the criticism Israel is facing following the deaths of three hostages on Friday morning. One other thing to note about this, just outside of the Kiriyah yesterday, there were families of, of hostages who were calling for an immediate deal. They are willing uh, to to put everything on the table in order to get their loved ones home. And that's simply not where the Israeli government stands right now on the issue.
2: Right. CIA Director Burns is going back to Qatar. I heard the Mossad is sending a representative to Qatar to start getting hostage talks going. Have have they looked yet at what went wrong there, the communication, uh, the fact that they came out without shirts on, holding a white flag, I just saw some instant react analysis said, "Well, Hamas does a lot of that stuff. You know, they pretend to be do one thing and they're actually doing another." Uh, so, do you think there was a deception there? There's no expectation that Israelis would actually be in the area. The hostages would actually be loose.
9: Yeah, it is. It is really the the most tragic situation that could could have happened for the Israelis, because those forces had two objectives in Gaza. One was to look for the hostages, and the other was to destroy Hamas leadership. Having been embedded with the Israeli military multiple times in Gaza since the war began, I can tell you these forces are afraid, and and rightly so. They're facing an enemy that is fighting from an urban battle environment. They're popping out of tunnels, firing RPGs and anti-tank missiles at these troops, and killing uh, more than (laughs) 130 of them since this ground operation began. And so, likely, what took place was was a, a lack of discipline on the, the trigger for these these forces. And the reality is is that the Israelis have admitted the soldiers that killed the hostages did not follow protocol. Anytime inside Gaza, when someone approaches with a white flag, and especially without a shirt on to show that they have no explosives underneath, they should be taken into custody and, and then reviewed to see who they are. And this simply didn't happen here. Now, why it didn't happen, we we can speculate, but it it likely had to do with with forces operating either recklessly or carelessly, or they were simply afraid. They saw movement in in Mm Sajia, a very active neighborhood inside northern Gaza, and they
2: fired. One of the stories yesterday said uh, a former hostage came out and recommended IDF, don't go in the tunnels. Uh, It's going to be hell for you to go down there, and there might be some hostages down there, and there's no telling what they'll do. I don't think they have an option. Don't they have to go in the tunnels? Or is the latest thing they're going to flood it with seawater?
9: Yeah, it's it's a great question, Brian. And when we look at their options, they're very limited when we talk about southern Gaza. And southern Gaza is where it's believed not only the Hamas leadership is hiding in the tunnel network, but also many of the 129 Israelis that are still in Gaza, likely being held in those tunnels. And so they can't flood those tunnels and they can't uh, use any sort of other means that that have been discussed to destroy the tunnels with the Hamas leaders inside because they may be killing their own civilians, their own soldiers. And it it creates an incredibly complex and and challenging part for this next phase of the conflict, because even if they're acting on intelligence, there's this question of do they enter the tunnels? Do they not enter the tunnels? And, And if they do, could they be? Uh, booby-trapped, and this has happened before. A number of Israeli soldiers have died during this war in booby-trapped tunnels. They've entered, and Hamas has blown up the tunnel on top of them. And and so the question really remains, how will they deal with, with Hamas leaders like Yahya Sinwar, the, the leader of Hamas in Gaza, and others who are hiding in southern Gaza among the, the hostages? And, and one thing we should remember here is that some of the hostages that were released, they reportedly met noir in the tunnels in the early days, an indication that these leaders knew if they were around the hostages, they were less likely to be targeted.
2: Very interesting. Uh, so far, we understand that it's been reported that Israel has used 60 percent of the of the aerial bombing has been uh, dumb bombs and not the precision bombs or it's 40 percent have been dumb bombs, not the precision bombs. Do you think that number is Correct.
9: Yeah, I, I do. And it's it's quite controversial, um, because when you look at, at Gaza, there will be a number of things that we're not discussing now that Israel will have to address later. Things like where the, the Palestinian people will live afterwards, the spread of disease inside Gaza with the amount of destruction and, and injuries to the civilian population. And these are things that, that Israel will face on their border, and they will not just be criticized for but but it will be a, a logistics challenge for them as they are the ones who are ultimately controlling the amount of aid that gets into gaza and they're the ones that that have the palestinian people as their neighbors and so it's not an easy situation um, and it's an unpredictable situation because there is this this question of what happens the day after the war is over and that question still has not been answered by israeli officials
2: It really, uh, it doesn't. Maybe they haven't figured it out. They're going for total victory. You know, I remember with bin Laden, they said it's a complex series of tunnels. Look out, and they end up not being that. This is actually just as sophisticated as they thought. I could not believe some of the sizes of them. There were rail cars on the inside in some some areas. You see all the tunnel-making equipment. Um, So this is... Uh, And they said, what, 500 tunnels have been discovered so far. Do you get the sense that Netanyahu wants to go for a long time uh, on the ground?
9: Yeah, yeah, I I do. And I think the war will enter a new phase in the coming weeks. And a lot of that has to do with American pressure behind the scenes. And a lot of it has to do with the reality that you cannot win in an urban, complex battle environment simply by bombarding the entire area. Because there are civilians among this population, there are hostages among this population. And so they are reaching a point where the air superiority that that Israel has in this situation and the ability to use their air force, it becomes more of a burden than a tool. And so this will be a very long campaign. According to Israel's defense minister, it will take several months to, to reach the objectives inside Gaza. But we are likely looking at a new phase that will include more tactical strikes. It will include more uh, missions based on specific intelligence for the forces that are still operating inside Gaza. And likely, if the Israelis listen to the international community, and and they behind the scenes maybe not publicly are admitting this, but, but probably are planning for this contingency of what does come next, because there will have to be someone in charge of Gaza. There will have to be civilian infrastructure to support the more than two million people that live there. And with Israeli forces inside, they can't just play a role of security. They will have to coordinate some sort of, of government control. And whether that goes to an actor like the United Nations yeah. or to a, a foreign government like the Egyptians or the Qataris, that, that's still unknown at this point.
2: So a couple of things. You said like the Hezbollah side is heating up, and, they, and according to reports, maybe there's a mobilization for an inevitable war while— Uh, Hamas winds down. Is that correct?
9: Yeah, it is something that Israeli defense officials have talked about as inevitable with one caveat. They say that if diplomacy prevails, and they don't expect it to prevail, but if diplomacy prevails, it could avoid a limited or even wide-scale conflict with Hezbollah. There are Hezbollah militants operating on the border as we speak. They've fired dozens of anti-tank guided missiles into Israeli territory. They've killed civilians and soldiers alike. And they've launched more than 1,000 projectiles since this conflict began. They started just one day after the massacre in southern Israel. And from that day after, October 8th, they have been firing on a daily basis into northern Israel. And it it raises the question of how long Israel will put up with it for. And because it's, it's not just the threat to the soldiers and civilians that remain in the north, it's the fact there are tens of thousands of Israelis that are internally displaced. The defense minister yesterday called them refugees in their own country. And and he's right, they are they have been removed from their homes and they can't return because of the threat of anti tank guided missiles and rockets and missiles that have precision guided munition. And and these are all real threats that if a larger war erupts this, this will be considered – the early days, this will be considered small compared to the arsenal that Hezbollah has. They have hundreds of thousands of rockets and missiles. They have precision-guided munition that was smuggled in from Iran through places like Syria. And if a large-scale war erupts, it will not be like the one with Gaza. There will be hundreds of casualties according to assessments, and it will be something that the United States could play a role in, in the response. Now, yesterday, Secretary Austin was asked about this. And he basically just sent the message of deterrence to Hezbollah, saying that he would recommend they do not do that. And and that has been the American position. But this is a a situation that is quickly running out of time. And and there is a question about uh, when Israel will strike offensively.
2: Trey Ying, great work. Always appreciate the insight and analysis as well as the reporting uh, from uh, from Israel. Thanks, Trey. Thank you. You got it. Stay safe. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I, I took a lot of time there. I apologize. I have a time at the back end to take a couple of calls. Then we'll get into it with uh, Colonel Allen West. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. here it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. <coughs> Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: She's getting clobbered. Uh, The sanctimonious, you know, he was, as much as I'm beating him by, I'm beating her by more because she hasn't even caught him. It's just words with her. I know her very well. Bird brain means not very smart. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, That is uh, Donald Trump, obviously, going after Nikki Haley. She did close within 15 points in New Hampshire. But the president, the former president widened his lead in Iowa. He's still 15 points is 15 points. But if you have the governor and a lot of independents, uh, Governor Sununu now, that shows it is somewhat gaining. But I just don't think going after somebody's intellect, who we know is smart, is smart. You might not agree with her on some things, but you probably agree with her on 80 or 90 percent of things. But I, find, I think you find that with everybody in a primary. Uh, most parties agree with each other. But I, going after Nikki Haley's intellect is never going to be effective, just like going after Trump for not finishing the wall is never going to be effective. But uh, those, to me, are dry holes because of the people you're trying to impress already know she's smart and already know you did 450 miles of wall. And the only reason you didn't finish it is because the Republican Congress didn't deliver it for you. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that. Texas has done something extraordinarily great. Uh, I think you're going to love these details. Uh, and we'll go over with Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who was part of the reason he ran for governor. Don't move.
1: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Biden's
6: deliberate inaction has left Texas to fend for itself. The authors of the United States Constitution foresaw a situation when the federal government would be inattentive to states that faced challenges at their borders. And in response, they inserted Article 1, Section 10 to the United States Constitution to empower states to take action to defend themselves. And that is exactly what Texas is doing. I will sign 3 laws today to better protect Texas and America from Biden's border
2: neglect. So this is uh, great and it's going to be costly though. Uh, no doubt about it. So the polling is terrible with Biden at the border uh, almost everybody democrat and republican outside the Castro brothers and some extremists like this entire squad believe the border is totally busted and needs to be taken action it's an embarrassment and it's a danger. So Texas is going to put $1.54 billion in state money to continue construction of barriers, 1,200 miles, and allow the state to spend $40 million for state troopers to patrol Colony Ridge, a housing development near Houston that far-right uh, publications claim is a magnet for undocumented immigrants. The money will also be added at $1.5 in contracts the state has issued since September 2021. But they're also going to be start arresting their own people. This bill number four, up to six months in jail, two thousand dollar fine for first time conviction, twenty years in prison for a second time conviction. Police must transport them to a port of entry if caught after serving their sentence. Could face a felony charge for refusing to return to Mexico. Uh, these are some of the things that show extreme measures. Is it extreme enough? Will it be effective? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us, the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Colonel, is this a good move?
11: Well, finally, uh, that's what a lot of people down here in Texas uh, are talking about, what took so long for this to happen, because, you know, the, the dam has broken. So hopefully we can try to uh, get some of the water to recede. But you saw the recent pictures from Bill Malugin and also the reports from Grim Jenkins. Uh, this problem at the border is getting even worse. So I think this is a good start. Let's see if there's a follow-up to it. We hopefully uh, won't see this as just a political optic. But, you know, there's some other things. We should stop having in-state tuition for people that are here illegally in the state of Texas. We need to make sure that the remittances that – these uh, illegals are sending back to Mexico wherever, out of Texas, we should tax those remittances. And, and that's something we could do to offset the costs that we see uh, happening with uh, us picking up the bill. And furthermore, some of the remittances that we sent to the federal government, we ought to put a little hold on that as well. And that's something that the comptroller's office can do. So uh, we'll, we'll see what the follow-up is uh, after this uh, historic signing yesterday.
2: Well, I'd love to see the arrest. You've got go. a lot more jumpsuits. People Will certainly coming. You want to turn them around right away so the federal government will sue, just like they did to get the barriers out of the, uh, the floaters out of the Rio Grande that was supposed to stop everybody. They said, yeah, that's got to come out. This time we expect the federal government to sue. But can you imagine the case, Colonel? They say they're going to actually say that they are controlling the border. And I think the best thing for Governor <laughs> Abbott and the Governor uh, uh, Katie Hobbs of Arizona is to say, no, they're not. Because they're both on the record saying they have not done their job, so we have to do their job. And maybe that'll, that'll uh, give them victory or, or make them do their job.
11: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a bad position for the Biden administration because by the Constitution, and you and I have had this conversation quite often, they're supposed to guarantee that every state a protection from invasion. You can't be the federal government and come down and tell states you can't touch this because it's our jurisdiction, but yet our jurisdiction means that we're not going to do anything about it. So if you're not going to do anything about it, and Governor Abbott was correct, Article 1, Section 10, Clause number 3 of the Constitution gives the state the authority to do what the federal government is not doing in protecting the border and protecting the sovereignty of this country. So this is not a good position for the Biden administration and I think recent polling you're starting to see more and more Americans seeing this as a critical issue because it is an economic issue, it's a health care issue, it's an education issue it's a crime and and local criminality issue. All of these things come together and even more so Brian you know this is a national security issue because we have to be very concerned about some of the people that crossed
2: that border. Of course, in every way. So Pete Peterson's from uh, Pepperdine School of Public Policy. He said this is what's killing Biden. Cut five.
6: It shows government failure. And, of course, this is being led by the administration. We get the reports coming out of just showing how overwhelmed the border is. Mm-hmm. And we see here in California what's happening in cities like San Diego, where you have border protection actually bringing people up by bus and dropping them off at bus stops in the middle of San Diego, where cities are now being overrun. Yeah. We've seen that also happen in San Francisco, Oakland and Los Angeles as well. The Biden administration is really showing its incompetence here and the voters are responding.
2: Right. Uh, his approval ratings at 34 uh, percent. So <laughs> it's 37 uh, percent. So it's pretty hideous uh, what's happening. And he's earned this. He earned the spending that got us inflation. Uh, he earned the green yeah. technology and force it down our throats. It's uh, affecting energy prices and and hurting the car, uh, the car business, his, his weakness in Afghanistan as us writing checks and sending arms in Ukraine. And then you could argue, mm-hmm. too, that uh, now they're trying to affect the success that Israel might eventually have and I hope to have in Gaza by winding it down because they feel political pressure.
11: Well, the thing is, Israel would not be dealing with Hamas if the Biden administration had not opened uh, their arms back up to Iran. Uh, GOING BACK FOR THE IRAN NUCLEAR AGREEMENT, YOU KNOW, EASING UP ON THE SANCTIONS, AND NOW IRAN IS flush WITH OIL REVENUE, SENDING THEM $6 BILLION. SO you know, YOU KNOW, WHEN I HEAR PEOPLE SAY THAT IT'S AN INCOMPETENCY OF THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION, THIS IS PURPOSEFUL, THIS IS INTENTIONAL. EVERYTHING THAT HE IS DOING, HE SAID HE WAS GOING TO DO, AND THIS IS WHAT THE FAR LEFT WANTS TO SEE HAPPEN. SO I THINK THAT PEOPLE ARE WAKING UP AND UNDERSTANDING THAT THEIR POLICIES ARE THE REASON WHY. And SO THIS IS NOT ABOUT SPENDING MORE MONEY. Uh, As we hear the talk about border security, it's about policies that have taken us in a different direction.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, and it's the worst it's ever been. This is a time in which it should be slower because it's a little bit colder. So. Yeah. yeah, So here is uh, I want you to hear the other side of this, the irrational side. But it's unfortunately part of his base. Listen to Congressman Castro of Texas and Jayapal.
12: I want to speak quickly to the Democrats in the Senate, and others who are considering supporting (laughs) this proposal. If you do so, you will be surrendering to right-wing racism. And more than that, you will be enabling it.
5: Senate Democrats and the White House must not agree to these extreme demands.
2: So that's what he's dealing with. I mean, do you believe it's racist? Do you know that we don't even know where they're coming? They're not coming from... They're not coming from Central and South America. Most of them are coming from Africa now.
11: Yes you've got people from now probably over 160 different countries, and you got Chinese nationals. I mean, tens of thousands of Chinese nationals, mostly single military-aged men. You have people coming into this country from countries that are on the terrorist watch list. This has nothing to do with racism. And I think that people are absolutely sick and tired of this, uh, you know, scare tactic and and this, you know, demonization and racism use, because it's not. The the left all Always falls back on that, and here you have two sitting members of the United States Congress that don't believe that we're supposed to uh support and defend the Constitution and support and protect the sovereignty of the United States of America. These people should be removed from office because they're supposedly have taken an oath to the Constitution,
2: yeah, it would help uh, here's what Tom Holman said about the possibility that Abbott's new laws a uh, few of them. Are going to be effective cut to
13: and look the biden administration has been very successful on the open borders agenda they haven't done they haven't done a single thing to slow the flow this isn't this isn't mismanagement it isn't incompetence it's by design he ran on open borders and you got to give him credit he's kept his promise so i salute governor abbott I mean we got to protect this country and we are, we look at the known how many how many uh, people off the terrorist watch list have been arrested an historic number governor Abbott's is trying, trying to protect texas and in doing so He's protecting his country.
2: So he thinks it could be effective. Tom Homan also says he'd go back if asked, uh, and Trump will ask him to go back if he wins.
11: Well, we definitely need someone like Tom Holman, who is very focused and understands this issue. He has been there. He has done that. He knows what works. And again, we just have to see the follow up. Uh, the Biden administration is going to come back and, and, like you say, bring a lawsuit. And I think it's so important that Texas says, you know, we're not going to court. Screw you. OK, this is about protecting our citizens here. And you have purposely and intentionally broken the law. And so therefore, we're going to step in and we're going to defend the law. Uh, and I think that that's a fight that you win. And you don't need to go and uh, get into this lawfare thing that the federal government, and the Biden administration wants, because we're suffering now just here in Texas, but all across the United States of America with the drug fentanyl crisis, the human and sex trafficking crisis. And again, this is becoming a huge national security issue.
2: All right, Colonel, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hopefully Texas wins out on this. They work their way up the courts while uh, by arresting a whole bunch of people. Uh, But unless Arizona does, it's really not going to stem the total numbers. Colonel, thank you very much.
11: Always a pleasure, Brian. Take care. Merry Christmas to you.
2: Uh, Same to you and your family. Always great. Uh, Meanwhile, when we come back, uh, what happened on the streets of New York City yesterday? There's a dual shot I want to share with you, both from my hometown of Massapequa. You have Jerry Seinfeld in Tel Aviv walking with people around him peacefully. Then you have Alec Baldwin, uh, also from Massapequa happens to be going to an acting class where he's volunteer teaching on 29th Street. And as he's getting there, he runs into all these anti-Semitic protesters, anti-Israel protesters, pro-Hamas protesters, and they harass him. When we come back, what he said and what they said and why I believe Baldwin was 100% correct.
1: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Nikki Haley promised.
3: I will not. Not now not ever support raising the gas tax.
4: Really? Not now? Not ever? Just 24 months later, High Tax Haley flipped.
3: Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents.
4: That's right. High Tax Haley broke her promise.
3: Let's increase the gas tax.
4: Repeatedly backing higher taxes hurts families. New Hampshire can't afford Nikki High Tax Haley. Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising.
2: All right, they're going after each other. Obviously, uh, Nikki Haley or Donald Trump are not going to be people that are going to basically be upping your taxes, but they're pointing out two things that maybe Charles Krauthammer brought this up too. Uh, one of the things he said, I said, gas is so low right now, you could probably put a gas tax in and do a lot of the infrastructure that needs to be done without a major infrastructure bill by putting another nickel or 10 cents on. I know that was one thing to happen at one time, but if you feel as though someone's vulnerable in that area, I think pretty much, I'm pretty sure that most New Hampshire knows Nikki Haley would not be upping your taxes. Nikki Haley went after Joe Biden, though. Uh, she knows that she's beating him by double digits in a couple of polls, beats him in every poll. And here's what he said. She said about him and really saying about Trump. Cut 20.
3: I'll just say it. Biden's too old and Congress is the most exclusive nursing home in America.
2: Pretty cool. And I think that's one thing when you talk about too old. Trump does not want to talk about age. He wants to talk about competence. Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis wants to talk about Uh, Wants to talk about age because that includes Donald Trump. Uh, They are uh, the governor of Iowa is going after Trump, saying they're they're misrepresenting her and her statements of support for Trump in the ads. I don't think that flies either. Uh, Here's Ron DeSantis going after uh, going after Haley, who, by the way, he is beating her in Iowa, but losing to her and is only one point ahead of Christie in New Hampshire. Cut 15.
8: Her problem is, is that uh, she doesn't have a conservative record. She's an establishment candidate being funded by people like BlackRock, liberal donors in California, Wall Street, liberal Wall Street executives. Um, And they're not funding her because she's going to be a change agent. They're funding her because they know she represents managed decline. She will not do what needs to be done to reverse the decline of this country. She also cannot beat Donald Trump in a one-on-one because she doesn't have support from conservatives.
2: Yet. And he's right about that. she has got to cheese. She has got to get more conservative support. He has it doesn't have the moderate support and he doesn't have the Trump voters. Trump say, yes, Ron, just not yet. They say, yeah, we like your ideas. We love what you did in Florida. Just not yet. Ron DeSantis is saying, no, no, this is the time because Joe uh, Donald Trump can't win. And another example of that was his use of using the word poison and blood over the weekend that allows people like Wolf Blitzer to lead his show. We're talking about Trump being, drumroll please, Hitler again. But the bigger story is the vulnerability of Joe Biden. His numbers are horrendous. 37% approval rating in the latest poll. And right now, he is evidently openly laying into his staff saying, why are my polls so low? I've never heard of that. A candidate just yelling at his staff. Well, one of the reasons they did, they found out, is this guy, Stanley, Stanley Greenberg, a Democratic pollster, along with James Carville, formed a company. And they said that one of the worst things you could do if you're Joe Biden is doing what he's doing, telling people that everything's getting better when they don't feel it. It acts like you're totally detached or you don't care. So, you got to get where people are, they say. You have to say things like, We get it. We understand where you're at right now, as opposed to, Things are getting better. I've already improved it. When you don't feel it, you say, This person has improved it for other people, or he doesn't want to hear what I'm going through. And this is a Democratic pollster. So, guess what Joe Biden's doing today? He's doing another event where he's talking about binomics, which is not a good term for him to use, job performance. On national security, uh, according to Fox News, they give them kind of high marks, 43%. Ukraine war, 37%. Economy, 36%. China, 34%. Uh, Israel, Hamas, 33%. Border security, 33%. Inflation, 28%. So overall, they give them an approval rating of 34%. And we'll see where that goes. What they're going to do, just be ready for it. Everything Trump does, including exhaling, will be a big deal. They're going to make Trump. Trump is going to be the evil alternative. He will be, Joe Biden will be normal. Donald Trump will be radical and will never leave office. He's going to stay and abrogate the Constitution. I don't see that happening. Jim Messina on what needs to be done. Cut 23.
12: Well, look, I think President Obama is doing exactly what he should be doing, which is reminding Democrats it's time to, to focus on the election, wake up and, uh, and realize that every election, you and I have talked about this in the past, Neil, every election in America is close and this thing is going to be close and Democrats need to kind of wake up and start doing the things that they do, which is knocking on doors and talking to people. I think what he's saying to folks is it's time to, it's time to focus. It's
2: time to be concerned. Yeah, it's time to be concerned. And a lot of people say it's time for him to get out. Barack Obama is evidently time to be concerned. He cut an ad with Joe Biden. It looks terrible. It looks like some ninth grader did it who just got himself a new editing machine. I am not sure what the thought pattern is there. So uh, also, this is his problem. Uh, They believe he's got the squad who does not want him to touch the border and do a deal. So that's going to anger them. He's got the squad that does not want him to continue to support Israel. They are angry right now. So he is being what a president's supposed to be. Make the tough decisions, even if it hurts your party. The problem for most people is that nobody thinks that Joe Biden's instincts on making the right decision, can ever be trusted on itself, on its face. Hey, uh, Teddy and Booker T is still out. Uh, don't sure you pick your copy up. Or if you want to order through our website, Uh This way you can get it personalized and send it out to you. And don't forget, we got a big event coming up in January uh, in Juliet, uh, Illinois. So I want everybody there in attendance. We're on our way to selling it out. Don't move.
1: news headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sowing division it's brian Kilmead.
2: thanks so much for being here everybody it's the brian Kilmead show we have so much to go over so much to go through also saw this little note to keep in mind porch pirates they are everywhere and they say it's going to hit a record this year six billion dollars i don't know how many people uh, want to know that their gift was stolen off somebody else's porch, but maybe that's happening. Also, people reselling it, that's probably happening. But if crime's happening in the cities, in the suburbs, look out. That package left at your doorstep uh, could be taken. You notice a lot of them take a picture of it, and maybe now I get why. I'm a slow learner. This hour, we're going to be joined by Steve Garvey. He wants to be the next senator, uh, the senator from California. After all, he knows the state, played first base for the Padres and the uh, Dodgers. Not a prerequisite, but would certainly help. And Josh Kraschauer will start laying the table, setting the table for 2024, as we're now inside a year to the big election. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Nikki Haley promised.
3: I will not. Not now. Not ever support raising the gas tax.
4: Really? Not now? Not ever? Just 24 months later, high tax Haley flipped.
3: Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents. That's
2: right. Uh, (laughs) The attacks have begun from the Republican side. We'll talk about the effectiveness of that. Donald Trump looks at her as a threat now, especially in New Hampshire. And Joe Biden is getting a lot of advice from a lot of places. And what he's doing now. Shows it's not working.
3: Number two.
5: We had great discussions about the status of the campaign. We also have some great thoughts about how to transition from high-intensity operations to lower-intensity and more surgical operations.
2: Right. I'm sure they had no idea how to do that until we came. Israel's war fell to everywhere, from the streets of New York City to Jerry Seinfeld shows in Syracuse, to obstructing and confronting Alec Baldwin's walk home, to rocket attacks in the Mediterranean, to the tunnels and streets of Gaza. The hostage talks in Qatar. We will cover it all.
12: Number one.
2: Biden's deliberate inaction has left
6: Texas to fend for itself. And that is exactly what Texas is doing. I will sign three laws today to better protect Texas and America.
2: There you go, Governor Abbott. Great job. I dare you to sue him. Texas takes on the federal government for not protecting our southern border. And now we'll do it. They'll do it themselves at the cost of billions of dollars. But at least they'll do something. Your move, Joe. And that's where we'll begin. Josh Kreisauer joins us now. Fox News radio political analyst and editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. Josh, welcome.
10: Brian great to be back with you.
2: Hey uh Josh first off the president of the United States cannot be happy with some of these uh, poll numbers and some of the advice he's getting. I don't think anybody on the left has said they should not be they're not concerned about what they're seeing. The Fox poll has them at 43% approval. Nobody else is close. Uh in November of 2023 is at 40, so it's ticking slightly up. Uh on National Security is at 43, Ukraine 37, the economy 36, China 34. Hamas in Israel, 33, and the border security, 33, uh, inflation, 28. Most other polls, he's a lot less. Your thoughts on what he has to do?
10: Uh, well, look, these are the worst numbers for any incumbent in in my lifetime. I mean, these are, these are numbers that actually rival Jimmy Carter's uh, political standing uh, in his bid for a second term. Uh, they they're about in line with George H. W. Bush. In in 1992. So these are ominous numbers for any incumbent dealing with this degree of dissatisfaction with the state of the country, with the state of the economy. And I think the bigger challenge, too, is that Biden at age 81 is not as, uh, let's put it mildly, is not as adept at kind of driving home a message and showing that he can kind of turn the tide and that he has the strong leadership necessary to turn things around. Uh, and that's seen in the polls as well. A lot, a lot of worry and skepticism about his ability to kind of serve out the the four-year term where he'd be 86 at the end of 2028. Uh, 20, uh, so these are really big headwinds for, for Biden and the Democratic Party. Well, I, I think the the one maybe sil- the silver lining that they're they're relying on, and you can see this in all the reporting, Brian, is that their their playbook they're, they're playing prevent defense. They're hoping that Trump is is, is going to self destruct if he's a nominee, and we, he's going to be uh, the, the the factor that will allow them to squeak out a victory. Now, I, you know, in sports and politics and any any line of, of work it's it's not a good strategy typically to rely on your opponent's missteps to win <laughs> you know you usually want to have a game plan of your own that that actually can convince voters that you're the right choice or you have a winning game plan and uh, look, even, even uh, there was a big, big piece in Politico this week. Kind of, uh, and New York Magazine also profiled some of the top Biden uh, operatives. You know, they're they're kind of relying on, on Trump to to hand, hand you know, make, make, make this choice between two unpalatable candidates, and ultimately they can sweep by because of, of Trump's uh, dislike uh, unlikability. But that's a very, very risky strategy. And Trump, by the way, is winning in most of these head-to-head matchups.
2: Right when Trump says things over the weekend that people are able to say, "Oh, I think Hitler said that." they'll spend the whole week focusing on if that's the only thing that ever happened. I feel like we've run the same story uh, for five and a half years. Trump said something that no one would ever say and it's going to destroy him. But if it comes, if it brings him down a couple of points, that's all you would need. I thought this is interesting from Stanley Greenberg and Jim Carville. They say that the Biden administration talking about Bidenomics is disastrous. The numbers don't say, regardless of what the numbers say, people don't feel it. Here's the quote. What the president is currently doing is still talking about progress and you can't keep talking about progress when three quarters of the country think we are on the wrong track. He says you have to say phrases like we get where people are and tell voters that we get it. So let's see if he'll just yell at staffers or start changing tactics.
10: Yeah, look, you can't like if the dogs don't want to eat the dog food. You're not going to keep. Being able to sell the dog food, you know, the, the, the idea to brand an economy that people didn't think was working for them under your name is going to be looked at as a, a very serious blunder, at least in the early stages of this this re-election campaign. They've changed tack a little bit. I think they're now talking less about Bidenomics, trying to draw a sharper contrast between their economic record and and what what Republicans and Donald Trump would bring to the table. Look, I, I think they do have some good things to work with. There are some possible encouraging signs when you look at the state of the stock market, I think we have record levels or near record levels uh, on, on the stocks these days, which you know I think helps the upper middle class, maybe not the working class as much. You also have a low unemployment, you've got inflation being contained. But but the reality, Brian, is that you – know, the Ronald Reagan quote, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Well, four years ago prices were, were considerably lower and people are paying more in most sectors for everyday goods. And that's that's the, the big signal that you're seeing in the polls. Like regardless of some encouraged I think there's there's a good story that they could tell, but it's overshadowed by the fact that inflation over the last couple of years has really changed the dynamic you know, raised prices to such a level that people are still feeling it in their pocketbooks. And and that's the political headwinds that, that Biden is facing and probably will continue to face headed into twenty twenty
2: four. Right. And we'll see. Do you do you believe he's gonna be the nominee?
10: Yeah, I look I I think as long as he doesn't suffer any health issues uh he will be uh but uh, you know when you're 81 years old that that you know that, that's always a concern. Um so I, I I don't see Democrats and then the White House you know Biden himself deciding to change course I think it's far too late in the game to do that but look you're always going to be concerned about any any health related issues when, when you're when you're in your 80s.
2: Yeah I, I guess so. So let's say, uh let's pivot if by the way the other thing is immigration. One of the best things that could happen to the country, but for Joe Biden, is to do something legitimate at the border with asylum. Because right now, in a time in which it's usually slow, we're hitting all-time records. Countries are literally emptying out into our country right now from almost every continent. So that, to me, is not a Republican issue. And the numbers say this is a national problem. The Democratic governor of of Arizona saying the same thing as the Democratic senator from Pennsylvania, Fetterman, as the as Gallego, the congressman from Arizona, also Democrat, uh, Kelly's disappeared again since he doesn't have to win re-election. But the, this is a huge issue, isn't it?
10: Yeah, it's not. It's not even just the the, the, the swing state senators. It's, it's it's mayors in some of the bluest parts of the country, like uh, Eric Adams in New York, and uh, you know in Chicago, like they're they're facing the the aftermath of of, of having to deal with. The strained social services that the migrant crisis is causing. So, th- look, th- that's the worst issue for Biden there is i don't know if i'd call it a solution but there is a, the outlines of a bipartisan deal where uh, there would be tougher border security um, um that that republicans have been demanding and, and it would be uh, allow the white house to get more more aid for ukraine and also for israel so uh, there there there's conversations going on on capitol hill if i was the white house i would embrace these uh conversations more more openly because look the the, the notion that you should be holding, uh, you should be held hostage by the by the left that doesn't want any, any any tighter border security, and you're pandering to that group when that's out of step with the vast majority of the Amer- American public, it's a bad political spot to be in, and given the fact that Biden is already facing uh, low, low approval ratings and facing a lot of heat, uh, that would be a good way at least to show he's willing to take on uh, the unpopular parts of his own own coalition. But he seems to be willing to talk about a deal, but not willing to kind of get out there in front of it and try to trade for, or try to make a compromise that would allow him to say he actually did try to work and tighten up the border.
2: So uh, we're talking with uh, Josh Kraschauer, who uh, who is focusing on this area. Let's talk about the Republicans. They know that 68 percent of the American people think we're on the wrong track, so they see an opportunity. Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis in some polls, and Donald Trump in the last five polls, all beating uh, head-to-head with Joe Biden. Now Haley has a reason to be somewhat happy within 15 points in New Hampshire. But in Iowa, it looks like Trump expanded his lead. How do you see the race, Josh?
10: We've talked about this before, Brian, but Haley is the only challenger that at least has a path. So I would say it's a it's a, it's a long shot, but she actually has a path to becoming a a serious or credible challenger to Trump. And you can see it in New Hampshire, what's going on there. Uh, she got the endorsement of Governor Sununu. She's now close to 30%. In in, in the state polls, she's only 15 points behind Trump. I think she was almost 30 points a couple weeks ago, so she's gaining ground on Donald Trump. And Chris Christie is getting 10 percent of the vote in that poll too. So if Christie dropped out, a lot of that vote would go towards Nikki Haley. So you can see the scenario where she does pretty well in Iowa, comes close to DeSantis, wins New Hampshire. I think she needs to win New Hampshire. And then the next state, Brian, is her home state of South Carolina where, you know, she would have momentum, and, and it's a good chance she could actually win that state as well if everything went her way.
12: Do I understand uh, that? It,
10: that it, is the, the pathway. The, that, that's the playbook. And then that would set things up for Super Tuesday. You'd have the Trump trial uh, about to take place, I think, in, in, during that time frame. It would, it, would, it would create the potential for a reset and maybe people giving a closer look to Nikki Haley as a more electable choice in, in the election.
2: Right. Do you think that the, uh, the, the Biden team wants Trump?
10: Oh yeah, I mean look, if you if, if well, when it comes to Trump versus Haley, I, I think the the data is unmistakable. Uh, Trump is leading, let's let, let, let let's be clear about that. He's actually leading in almost all the polls, but by a very narrow margin, two, 2 to 4 points. Uh the New York Times poll actually shows Biden up among likely voters today by a couple points, so you know, it's a com- very very competitive race very close, though Trump, I think, is a small advantage at this point. With Haley, all the polls show her with a huge or significant advantage, uh, double digits in some polls, and she's able to kind of broaden the Republican Party coalition uh, to really kind of potentially win win a type of landslide election, if if you believe the polls. Now, look, if Haley is the nominee, she'd be attacked. Her numbers are not going to be quite this good. But there's there's a lot of evidence Mm -hmm. that Haley is able to build a broader coalition, a much more... uh, you know why? You know the number of voters that are willing to vote for Haley versus those who are willing to vote for Trump is much larger in her pool. The, the challenge for her, though, is getting there. Can she actually win a Republican uh, primary fight against Donald Trump? And and frankly, like what, what would lead, if she did beat Trump, you know, would, would the party be able to pick itself up up off the mat and, and put itself together? And that so those are very uh, hypothetical questions. We're not there yet. But Haley right now looks like a much, much more uh, electable or at least uh, being able to drive a real landslide win against.
2: So you, you write for the Jewish Insider and you see how the anti-Semitism raging in this in the city we're in right now in New York City. Uh, you see it happening on college campuses, and you see a portion of the Democratic Party, led by the squad and more, rallying against uh, Israel and urging the president to to demand a ceasefire. Well, do you think the American Jewish community will revisit who they're voting for? It's usually the Democrats?
10: Yeah, well, what we're seeing – well, look, number one, I think it depends on who Republicans nominate. If, if Nikki Haley is the Republican nominee, I think you will see uh, – Perhaps record high support or elevated levels of support for uh, for Haley, if that was the matchup. And now that's not likely. That's not, not, not that's not the most plausible situation. So if it's Trump versus Biden, I, you know I think Trump carries enough baggage that I don't foresee a huge huge movement um, in, in the GOP's direction among Jewish voters. What we are seeing, though, Brian, is that within within the Democratic Party, within these primaries that are taking place. Uh, there's a real civil war going on between the squad and, and more moderate pro-Israel candidates. So we're, you know, four or five of the members of the squad actually are facing primary challenges from the middle in, in, the, in the in the upcoming elections. You have a lot of these battles in these open races right. where you have a lot of uh, debate and, and anger against candidates that are, are taking too extreme of a line when it comes to being anti-Israel. Hey, you know, so I think like, the debate is really yeah. going to take place at least at this point internally because uh, that, that you know most. You know, Democrats usually get about 70 percent of the Jewish vote. And there are a lot of people dissatisfied with that dislike AOC and the squad and everyone who's been anti-Israel. But they're willing to support moderate pro-Israel candidates within their party.
2: So interesting. And I would love to see a lot of these extremists hit the road gates. I'd love to see challenge Bob Good. They just seem to be not interested at all in trying to get a consensus on anything. And it, it hurts. I, I think it hurts the country. But we'll see. I know things come in cycles. Uh, Josh, thanks so much.
10: Thanks, Brian.
2: You got it. When we come back, your turn to talk, one 408 7669 And you'll hear what happened to Alec Baldwin last night.
1: Ugly. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. NYPD,
2: we know you. You and prison children too. You and prison children too. NYPD, we know you. NYPD, we know you. You and prison children too. You and prison children too. Think of these despicable idiots uh, trying to gum up Penn Station and Grand Central Station. Both stations I go to depending on what train I can catch. And they want to make sure to maximize the inconvenience. What is their message? Putting KKK, the NYPD in the same sentence, putting the KKK, NYPD and IDF in the same sentence. These people are all they look mostly Middle Eastern. If they are actually chanting that in the streets of New York City, we should throw them the hell out of this country. They should not be here with those type of attitude towards our police. Uh, Towards uh, putting them in the category of KKK, and ironically, it is our police that is guarding them. When out of nowhere, Alec Baldwin, who was teaching a class, volunteering teaching an acting class on 29th Street, he all of a sudden he finds himself right in the middle of this mess, and they start going after him, telling him, "How can you, in Hollywood, type, side with Israel?" I mean, do you believe this? They go after Alec Baldwin, and believe it or not, he says, "What a dumb question." Get smarter questions, and you could tell him he's about to go after the one guy who doesn't have the courage to take the mask off his face, and then the cops get in front of him and pull him away because he was outnumbered maybe five hundred to one. But they start haranguing him, and they just it's this side by side online. You see Jerry Seinfeld in Tel Aviv walking freely, uh, visiting uh, the the hostage families. I think, but they were in. He was in Tel Aviv for sure. And then you have Alec Baldwin in New York City, the city that, that, that Jerry Seinfeld left, being harassed and harangued. And if the cops weren't, weren't there, and I guess the cops guard the protesters who are chanting anti-NYPD stuff, which is insane. And you got to protect them, which is crazy. It reminds me of the George Floyd things. So now you put them in the same category and you want sympathy or while you're stopping me from getting to my train or stopping me from getting across town or stopping me from getting to a plane. I mean, it's just out of control. These people, this is what they do. And they're all in their 20s. They look like they're all getting paid for this and they're on the wrong side of this issue. But it's so obvious I just love the fact that they're for Hamas and Palestinians, and a lot of these people wonder if women have any rights. Without none, about gays and uh, and lesbians, none. But it's okay.
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There are the
7: Dodgers, one out away. And the one old bitch watching, it's a high
1: fly ball to Landro. This is it.
7: Landro waiting and waiting, he's got it. The Los Angeles Dodgers have just about done the impossible. Lasorda throws his hat away, runs out with his hands and arms, Held high in the air to grab Steve Garvey. They were down two games to none to the
2: Yankees and beat them four straight. What a performance. How did they do that? In retrospect, I feel like I remember that series quite well. So it was following baseball on a daily basis. Somebody else that was following baseball and actually won that game, uh, Steve Garvey. Uh, he played first base for the Dodgers. Best known that that infield was together forever, and then also starred for the San Diego Padres. And now Steve Garvey wants to be the next senator from California, and he's up early to help us out. Hey, Steve, what are your thoughts when you heard Vince Gully calling that game, that play? Oh gosh, man, right. it, it
14: it put chills down your neck. I mean, he was obviously the greatest, and we we had this great run, you know, and from '73 to uh, to '81 there, of course, a little longer. Um, and it was finally, you know, there's, there's destiny. Each one of those series, we got behind by two games. Yankees were up 2-0. We went to LA, one three straight. And that night was the culmination of all those uh, days playing wiffle ball in the backyard and court ball. And, uh, and you know, I'm a family from New York, Long Island. My grandfather was a Brooklyn policeman. I had two uncles that were detectives. So winning in New York was special. And that last time, I got to tell you so quick, You know, you always go to the mound. So we rush to the mound, and Steve Yeager picks up Steve Howe, and Steve Garvey comes flying in, you know, with an eight-inch vertical leap. And we all come down, and Yeager spins Howe around, and his elbow clocks me in the chin. And I'm literally seeing stars. My hat's on the ground. You know, it's New York, so everybody's rushing from the stands. I think, oh, my gosh, i got to get my hat. I grab my hat, and I run through the crowd. You can see it in in, in the tapes on it. I finally get to the dugout, and I've got to hold the rail, and, and Steve Brenner, the publicist, says, what's the matter? I said, I almost got knocked out on the mound at the highlight of my career. So if you think about it, could you see me out cold on the mound with all these people? I mean, I would have been stripped in about you know 15 seconds. But, uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, now people listening right now couldn't understand it. You go on the field now, you get tackled and arrested. Back then, they used to jump on the field all the time.
14: Oh, sure. Now you, know, now you have all the horses, but that last out, those people are waiting on the rail, and uh, and it just shows. I mean, Yankee Dodgers, no greater World Series, the two boroughs, and, and I was uh, honored to play in three of them. And you know, Reggie hit those three home runs in 77. So just before that last pitch that you heard, he's at first base, and he looks at me, he goes, Garb, it's your turn. And he passed me on the behind, and the next pitch, and, and we win it. So um, I always said we're in the memory business, and, and it's moments like that that put chills down all of our spines.
2: Why did you go to San Diego? Well, the Dodgers made me an offer record
14: refuse. You know, I had been there for, my Lord, 14 and a half years. i been a bad boy, you know, growing up in Florida in spring training. Um, and I just wanted parity. And they, you know, they had a lawyer for the first time instead of the GM. Uh, and we were – yeah, this was gonna be my last contract and I had to do it with the rest of my family. So I go to I go to San Diego, Ray Crock uh, says, Stevie, I want you here. I can only pay you Big Macs and French fries And I said, I'll take it for a lifetime. And uh we bring in Gossage and Nettles in eighty four we beat the Cubs and, and uh go to the World Series there. So we were able to start history there and I was able to perpetuate history for the Dodgers.
2: I wow, also learned a few things about business from him, right?
14: Oh, absolutely. You know, he was the master. I mean, to start McDonald's at what fifty-one? You know, you're selling milkshake machines in East L.A. and you run across a hamburger stand called the McDonald Brothers, and he decides, well, I'll get in the, I'll get into this, and of course, the rest is history. But he had that little gleam in his eye, and he was from Chicago. He tried to buy the Cubs, uh, got a chance to buy a major league franchise, and, and bought the Padres. Um, and I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about. Uh, about how to build a business and how to build teams and, and uh, give the public what uh, what they want and they need. And um, and I've always thought that was – that's the biggest accomplishment in my career was to be able to develop a rapport uh, with the fans, so not only just California and, and San Diego and L.A., but all around the country.
2: Uh, Steve Garvey, you've always talked about getting into politics, and now at 74 you are. It's a jungle primary, as you told me. It's going to be the top two, get to, to go at it in November – when is uh when do we find out who finishes first and second?
14: That's gonna be March fifth, the uh, the primary. And um we had talked prior. I d there's no good time to announce, but unfortunately our date was the day after the Israeli war broke out. Uh but still we um We got great traction that 1st day, I did 30 something interviews and and my biggest 1 was Fox digital uh, because the next day, um, of course, the war got significant digital hits. But I was, I was 2nd, which told us that there is an interest um, people were waiting for me to declare uh, and that the, the state of politics uh, in California as mirrors the country. And indeed, it it's somebody that had a recognizable voice that people knew to stand up and uh, see if we can turn this around and, and get back to the quality of life that the people of California and this country need.
2: Well, it's going to be interesting. I know you're going to go against Adam Schiff. He's going to be in that mix. They, they say that he might be the favorite. Uh, Porter is going to be in that uh, to be a favorite. How do you convince a Democratic state to look to Steve Garvey?
14: Well, we, we just had a poll the other day, and uh, the first one came out, I would say a month ago, and we had 10 uh, percent. The other day we were at 15 uh, percent, um, right behind Schiff, who was at 2021, 20, and Porter and we were behind me. So we're getting great traction. The message is getting out there. Uh, the message is about uh, attacking crime. Uh, it's about quality of life, um, it's about uh, the education of our children. Um, you know, these flashpoints that face us you know, every day. And, um, you know, I have I've gone around the state, I've talked to people and uh, I hear 15, 20 minutes of, of passionate uh, discussion about, you know, when they get up in the morning, uh, mom goes to uh, to look for food. What, what am I gonna feed the kids this week? Do we have steak this week? No, chicken. Uh, on the way to school, dad stops at the gas station about eight o'clock in the morning and and all the people that are going to work, the workers, the landscapers, everybody's there. Uh, And I've done this every morning for about three mornings a week now. And I see these people getting $10 worth of gas instead of 10 gallons because they can't afford it.
2: That's that's barely a gallon. That's a gallon and a half. It's $6, right?
14: You know why? Because they, they geofence the area where they work and they know how far they can go to get them to the next day. And that's not fair. How about families? Two hardworking moms and dads. Let's say two kids. They can't save. At the end of the month, they're down eight to nine hundred dollars. Twelve thousand, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars a year. So they can't save for retirement. They're trying to save for their kids' education. They can barely do that, and they're looking for help. And the administration hasn't done it. You know, they give us nice numbers, oh this and that, but the, the basic. People who get up every day and go to work, who the politicians don't talk to, they know what it's really like in America. They know what it's really like in California, from Sacramento to Chico, to you know, Pacoima to L.A.
2: But, but, uh, Steve, let me ask them from from the outsider perspective. I can't believe these people want to, uh, Californians would tolerate the homeless situation. I can't believe that they want to tolerate the lack of punishment when it comes to crime. The 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 uh... The smash and grabs that were invented in San Francisco that are thriving in Los Angeles that now are affecting San Diego. When you go up to these people, do they say, "Hey, I don't," you know, "We're okay with it"? Do they say, "Oh, that's why I'm so happy that Gavin Newsom put that into our uh, daily lives"?
14: They're starting to 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 get up now, and and when I talk to them, they look at me after and they say, "Steve, thank you." And, And I said, "Why is that?" Because you actually asked us about our lives, the people we hired our elected representative, don't ask us, they tell us our life is fine. And oh, by the way, in California, you've gone from an eighty, hundred $100 million, uh, plus side to an $80 million deficit. And how's the governor going to do it? He's going to tell you, you know, you live in California, you live in America. You should want to pay more taxes. Really? You keep paying taxes and you don't get anything in return. You don't get any quality of life in return. You can't what? forget about walking the streets of LA or San Diego or you you can't walk the streets of your neighborhood. I mean, we live in the Coachella Valley, Palm Springs area, Palm Desert. We've actually had these, these smash and goes and break-ins on, on wonderful shopping streets out here where there's not a lot of density. But the soft spots criminal looks, criminals look for because they know if they get $950, they're not going to get prostituted. $950, Brian. You can steal and not get prosecuted. It's crazy. It's America come to it. And, you know, well, you're in New York. You're looking at a welfare state where immigrants are coming in every day. And your mayor is trying to find an answer, and there is no answer because if you want to you know, you be a sanctuary city, well, so be it. You you know, you may have thought, not thought about what's going to happen, and when it does happen, then you've got to take care of people. But you've got people coming in, I think I saw the other day, I, I get the New York Post every day. Uh, they have a, a jobs program. Only 20% of the you know, undocumented migrants that come in have applied for jobs. So what does it mean? They're fine. They've got a cell phone, they're living in a nice hotel. They've kicked out veterans, by the way, which is a-, which is a Disgrace. A, a thing in, in, in our running. Uh, Los Angeles, the veterans, big veterans hospital, home, you know, surrounded by tents. And their veterans living out there. Let's let's take pride in the people that protect our country. That come home. That have problems. And maybe physical. Quite quite usually, it's 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 going to be mental. Let's take care of them. Let's celebrate them. Let's get them back into society where these people have skills and not let them go on the streets again. So, people have been looking for a voice. They haven't had one in a long time. It's been 35 years since since this office had a conservative. Even get to the to the uh, general, um, but we're going to do it because people are now mm-hmm. saying, Steve, thank you for running. We're proud of you. And you know what? We're mad at ourselves. for not standing so up. So Steve, have you to-
2: talked to Arnold? Have you talked to Arnold Schwarzenegger how he did it?
14: Yeah, we're going to uh, get together pretty soon again. We've got to get through the holidays now and then we're going to, I'm going to get a chance to talk to him. I and mean, we've met several times before about what was his strategy. And I think it was the same thing. He talked to the people. And they felt they knew Arnold and, of course, Arnold was on the big screen and, and, and I've been on the playing field where thirty, forty thousand 40,000 people go to work with me and they see my work ethic and how I get up. And you know, I may strike out but I have a good chance of getting a hit too. So they want somebody just to care about them. And, and that's what our campaign is about. It's about compassion. It's about common sense and, right. and building expenses.
2: Understood. And I talked to Kevin McCarthy uh, last week in of California, obviously the former speaker now. And he's a big yeah. supporter of yours and he'd be a great guy for you to deal with as well. Uh, Steve, he's yeah,
14: listening to all voices, Brian, obviously, because I'm not a career politician. Right. I'm doing it if I want to serve the people. I'm not trying to build a name or a business. Uh, it'll be a, a six year run. But from that first day, I'll start to build a consensus on both sides of the aisle and, and, and work on the conservative side, too. I mean, both sides have to get together. Do you ever wonder if any of these people played a team sport? Uh, never.
2: Uh, uh, not, not everyone, but a lot of people, you, they have no sense of team and, and when it's not about them, which it's, it should never be about them. You have to do the best you can, Steve Garvey, to make sure Adam Schiff is not in the Senate. So that's your mission. OK, that's what we want to of want stopping the Yankees. To- stop him. That's right. Mm-hmm.
14: Absolutely. What well, we do, we want head to head. We want to get through the the primary. We're uh, we're building now that uh, uh, consensus, like I mentioned before. We're getting the people of California to stand up and the people of the country. You know, I'm I'm from New York. My family was from the island. Grandpa was a was a Brooklyn policeman. I had two detective uncles. So, you know, New Yorkers get behind Garvey at stevegarvey.com and um, and get me back to Washington right. so I can help not only California
2: but all the people. All right, he's third. He wants to be second, and I think he can. You get him into the finals, and he'll win it. Steve Garvey, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right, he he wants to be the next senator from California. Uh, Don't doubt him. I tell you, he's not going to be at work. I'll tell you that for sure. It was to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with just a, a few of your phone calls next.
1: Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: During the Kennedy Center honor ceremony, Crystal's longest-running co-star sat right behind him. His hometown sweetheart Janice, who he's been married to for 53 years. Tell me what Janice means to you. I mean
4: Her honesty, her strength, her love, the weight in my shoes in case I tend to drift off. Oh, and I this is what that. I felt because I'm wearing a medallion at the dinner they just put it around your neck and now officially this person you're now an honoree and i look out and there's my two beautiful daughters jenny and lindsey and that's that's the most important thing is those two girls and i said i know they're looking at me wearing this thing and i know what they're thinking what who's gonna get that when he's dead <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's kind of funny
5: it's very funny really yeah. crystal yeah right he only uh, got one medal he has two daughters what do you do
2: well that's true uh so I don't know. I I just know too much about Billy Crystal. I don't have a good feeling about him.
5: What? Yeah. Why?
2: Yeah, I just you know I've had bad. a couple interactions with him. Really? It's not been positive.
5: That's disappointing. And yeah.
2: And uh, I guess his brother is a still a teacher in Long Beach, Long Island. He that's where he is from. Okay. So, I just hear some uh questionable things.
5: He seems lovely then. He puts a very good persona out then.
2: Right. He hasn't done much lately though, right?
5: I mean, just from the Kennedy Center Honors, he probably does a lot of voiceovers. I know he did, I mean, several years ago, like Monsters, Inc., Monsters University for like Disney, Pixar. Mm -hmm. I know they are movies you're running out to see all the time, but I mean, that's a voice I hear often in my household.
2: All right. So last night, uh, Alec Baldwin was just walking the streets, right? Obviously, he's had a tough year or two, um, and he decides to, he's got seven kids at least. He decides to teach an acting class for free. And he's walking on 29th Street, a block I'm at a lot, because in two blocks, you could just dip right into Penn Station. And he runs into these rioters. And you would think they go, oh, Alec Baldwin, you know, you're a obviously you're a Democrat and you're a liberal, so I'm not going to have any problems with you. Instead, they start saying, I think you're pro Israel. I think you're pro Israel. And then he said this. In fact, you see him on the cover of the Daily News as well as the New York Post. And I 100 percent agree with him in this. And you have to just see the look on his face. He's being confronted by these little weasels, and he wants to crush all of them. And here's the here's the inter- here's the exchange. Cut. What do you mean you went to Hollywood? You condemn Israel for the oh, that You've against. you already, the you've already got your mind made up of whatever question you've got, right? Oh, that's a question. I'm, I'm in Hollywood.
5: Is, Is that your answer? Is that your answer? You ask stupid questions.
2: So he had about. Look, about 20 cops around them, and they were there to guard the protesters, believe it or not, even though they were outnumbered, they were aggressive, they were trying to find some way to get into the subways. Can you imagine what they would have done to the passengers if they went in there? And you know how many Jewish people are down there that might have confronted them back? And this is is what cowards they are. They cover their faces would love to know how many are being paid and the ones that aren't from the Middle East that maybe have a horse in this race like might be Palestinian to begin with. Why they're here and think they can protest in our streets and stop our traffic and stop our commuters who are trying to earn a living, not make money by stopping uh, closing bridges or harassing people in Brooklyn or uh, cornering uh, Jewish Americans in libraries at Cooper Union. And then you're harassing celebrities who are known to be a little volatile anyway, totally feel bad for Alec Baldwin because he's saying to himself, he sees these cameras, everyone's holding their phones, and they're waiting for him to blow. And this guy and all these people are in his face, and they're yelling the most horrendous things as he's trying to key his way in to this nondescript black door. I I, I 100% percent—it's screwing up everything. All these people that used to have a certain feeling about uh, Republicans or conservatives like Bill Maher, and in this case, Alec Baldwin, have to, I have to revisit it, and I'm hearing this over and over again, because these radicals are not—they're not, not right wingers; they're not the Freedom Caucus. Believe me, Brian Kilmeade.
1: From the Fox News Radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Latest hour, the Brian Kilmeade show is coming your way now, and I'm as excited as I hope you are. Mitch Albom's going to be joining me with his best-selling book, Great Message. No idea that we we're going to have a war in Israel when he came out and talked about his book, fiction, fictional book based on what happened in the Holocaust, so many times. And so we're standing by right now a guy who's uh, quite busy uh, with who possibly could be at the foundation of the most. Uh, comprehensive immigration reform that we've seen since the 1980s. It is an emergency. You need it to be a catastrophe emergency in order to change. I think Republicans have worked at the perfect time to use maximum leverage. So does Senator Mullen. He's going to be joining me in a matter of seconds. But first, let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Nikki Haley promised.
3: I will not. Not now. Not ever support raising the gas tax.
4: Really? Not now? Not ever? (sighs) Just 24 months later, high tax Haley flipped.
3: Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents. That's right.
2: Uh, The battle is on. On the right and the left, reality check for Joe. Trump's attack plan set to launch on. As you just heard, Nikki Haley and more. The horse rate heats up, and I'm loving
5: it.
3: Number two.
5: We had great discussions about the status of the campaign. We also have some great thoughts about how to transition from high-intensity operations to lower-intensity and more surgical operations.
2: All right, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Israel's war felt everywhere. Think about it, from the streets of New York City to Jerry Steinfeld in upstate New York to obstructing and confronting Alex Baldwin's walk home to rocket attacks in the Mediterranean Sea to the tunnels and streets of Gaza, the hostage talks in Qatar. You got it all.
12: Number
2: one, Biden's deliberate
6: inaction has left Texas to fend for itself. And that is exactly what Texas is doing. I will sign three laws today to better protect Texas
2: and America. That's all you can ask. That is uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, in Brownsville yesterday, calling out the Biden administration for not doing anything at the border, uh, dare you to sue me texas takes on the federal government for not protecting us and now we'll do it all ourselves says texas i hope so. arizona does the same thing it's going to cost them billions of dollars how about 1.58 billion? Uh by the way senator Mullins, we'll have to get to him on a different day we're having problems with the connection but just real quick when you look at what uh they are proposing on the border this is what's so significant number one I don't know anybody who doesn't see it as an absolute catastrophe. You got the Castro uh, congressman uh, down there who say it's racist to enforce the border. It's racist to have immediate uh, expulsion. It's racist to have anything that has a criteria in terms of getting asylum. But yesterday, Greg Abbott did something I think significant. He traveled to Rio Grande Valley and signed into law three bills that pour money into three, a three-year effort to deter legal immigration at the Texas-Mexican border. The law is set to take effect in March 2024. There would change depending on the outcome of the lawsuits that are expected to be filed by the federal government. Bill 3-year marks $1.54 billion in state money to continue making their own wall. It's a 1,200-mile gap they've got to fill. Let's see them do it. They're also going to allow the state to spend up to $40 million for state troopers uh, to patrol the Colony Ridge area over in Houston. The money will be added to $1.5 billion in contracts the state has issued since September 2021. So if you violate the law and come across illegally uh, up to six months in jail or $2,000 fine, first time, up to 20 years in jail for a second-time conviction, police must transport them to a port of entry after serving their sentence. Uh, they could put face a felony charged for refusing to return to Mexico. Now, just so you show what we're up against uh, in the set, this for, uh, amongst the sane people, U.S. Congressman Joaquin Castro sent a letter signed by Democratic members of Congress asking the U.S. Department of Justice to sue Texas to stop the law from taking effect, as if it's working now. We have new video from Bill Malusian at Eagle Pass showing a huge mass of people through our drones without permission, just streaming through. Griff says his sources told him 4,000 crossed yesterday on Monday with more than 4,000 in custody. One BP uh, Border Patrol agent told Griff that it's the worst day they have ever seen. This is a catastrophe taking place. This is a calamity. No wonder the governor is taking uh is is taking heart and taking action. Who wouldn't? I just should say to myself, okay, as bad as it is, I'm wondering what took so long if you knew this was an actual option. Here is uh Tom Holman cut to
13: And look the Biden administration has been very successful on the open borders agenda. They haven't done they haven't done a single thing to slow the flow. This isn't this isn't mismanagement. It isn't Incompetence is by design. He ran on open borders, and you got to give him credit. He's kept his promise. So I salute Governor Abbott. I mean, we got to protect this country, and we are, we look at the known. How many how many uh, people off the terrorist watch list have been arrested? An historic number. Governor Abbott is trying trying to protect Texas, and in doing so, he's protecting this country.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Governor Ron DeSantis, too, says this is intentional and that they got to run on this. And tactically, listen, I want to help the country. I don't care. But can you imagine if Joe Biden runs on, I was able to put together immigration reform? I still say you do it, and everyone will know who's behind it. He'll also lose a lot of people on the extreme left, like the squad and these younger people who don't think that being an American citizen should be just left to American citizens to decide. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis was on Hannity last night cut for
8: The left got on this horse because they were trying to oppose everything Trump was doing back in 2016, who was pledging a border wall and border security. And so they tied themselves up into saying that they should just have an open border when faced with the realities of that, whether it's Martha's Vineyard, whether it's New York City, whether it's Chicago, Los Angeles, they want nothing to do with the effects of an open border. The fact of the matter is you have major Democrats in this country now acknowledging you cannot have an open border. You cannot have 9 million people, 8 million people come in
2: in a three-year period. Right. I thought that was a given, but evidently it is not. So we'll take a timeout, one 866 i will be able to take some calls when we get back. Also, when we get back, I want you to hear what's going on in the streets of New York City. It might be with your, your street, too. Who knows where they're going to drop tomorrow? I told you on a regular basis I'm going to 34th on Penn Station or I'm going over to Grand Central on 47th. Yesterday, good thing I did not need a train. Uh, I had so much stuff with me from traveling over the weekend that I just took a car home. And I did that, and a good thing, because they were trying to stop everybody, commuters and everybody, from getting home. They were trying to block the passageway. to all these anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protesters. And as usual, they've turned off a lot of the people that were their supporters. Those multibillionaires uh, who are supporting those Ivy League institutions have noticed the lack of crackdown or the lack of support for their Jewish students, and they're backing away. Celebrities who might be of the Jewish faith, are backing away, keeping silent, or speaking out, alienating themselves from the party and disillusioned by what they're seeing. Alec Baldwin was somebody who was harassed last night. And this is the one time I side with the guy from Massapequa. Don't move.
1: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: When you look at the totality of the year, if you had to describe it and it's tough to do in one word, what would that word be and tell me why?
11: Uh, New York. Uh,
13: this is a place where every day you wake up, uh, you could experience everything from a plane crashing into our trade center to a a person
11: who's celebrating a new business that's open. Uh, This is a very, very complicated city, and that's why it's the greatest city on the globe.
2: Right, because uh, we are the greatest city because we let planes crash into buildings, and I think that's a great point. What is he talking about? I mean, we all misspeak once in a while, but he dug in on it. It's like yeah, you wake up in the morning. There might be planes crashing into buildings. so it's fun. I guess they sell tickets. That's called 9/11, once in a lifetime. Maybe Pearl Harbor might rival it. You make the call. Uh, I don't really think that's something to reminisce about. That's what makes the city the greatest city because we let planes crash into it. So, uh, Mayor Adams not having a good few weeks. Whether it's them, uh, the FBI rolling up on him and taking him his cell phone. Whether it's a staffer accusing, uh, being accused of improprieties when it comes to campaigning and acquiring funds, whether it's his links to Turkey or people around him. I am not sure, but his approval rating is now below 30%. They are now talking in New York that Governor Cuomo uh, would beat him if he wanted to run for mayor. Listen, he's got nothing to do, Governor Cuomo. Uh, But please do not forget what he did as governor. And he basically is now coming out, realizing how unpopular his decisions are, And what he did as an an absolute, absolute dictator when it comes to COVID, he's an absolute nightmare. He just loved the power he acquired because he could work a PowerPoint. He shut everybody down, kept those schools closed, went against the mayor, had no interest in ever getting any communication, effective communication and getting on the same page with the worst mayor ever. I get it. But number two is he's also in New York. They did this horrible thing that I hope your city doesn't get congestion pricing. So they don't want people driving in the city. It was probably Mayor Bloomberg's idea. So what they're doing is charging people to go across the city. Do you believe this? So if you deliver bread or you sharpen knives or you have a flatbed to deliver for construction, you're paying extra money. So you're paying a toll. And now you have congestion prices for going pricing if you go across town and use certain arteries. Guess whose idea that was that was trumpeted? Governor Cuomo. He says, oh, you know, we should get rid of that and put that on hold. No kidding. You never should have thought about it. When in trouble, just up the taxes and try to find people, uh, try to find people if they try to leave the city. So I find this, uh, I find that hard to believe. But Mayor Adams, uh, you probably want to take that back. You can wake up in the morning and you can look up and see some planes hitting buildings. I mean, if you want to describe, if you want to get people ready for another terror attack, you could say, let me remind you, it was just a couple of decades ago when we looked up on a beautiful sunny day and our lives changed forever. That's what we should worry about when it comes to the tens of thousands living on our streets today, polluting up our hotels and throwing out their free food because they don't like it. After you give a no bid contract to a caterer, I'm not sure if the food's terrible or if these illegal immigrants are just ungrateful or a little of both. But when you pay billions of dollars to feed people who don't belong here and they're throwing it out, and you to sell us on the city bring up the fact that planes hit buildings, you're a little confused. I think. You? John, you're in California. Hey, John.
15: Brian, wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. I wanted to talk to, compliment a little bit what you were talking about with Steve Garvey and so the Bidenomics uh, phenomenon. Uh, out here in California, not only, you know, everybody knows food and gas is going up and now it's coming down. So why isn't every the public, you know, happy about Bidenomics? I'm telling you, homeowners insurance prices 40% up this year. My uh, car insurance up 30%. Uh, The stock market. People are talking about the great stock market. Since Joe Biden came in, it's been up 20 percent over the last three and a half years, and about 20 percent of that is over the last two months. So people are not feeling just gas and food prices, everything. My homeowner's uh, uh, association fee is up 20 percent just because of this insurance issue. There's a lot of other issues other than food and gas going on, especially in California.
2: I think that's a good point. Also, how do you feel about the fact that it's going to be hard to buy gas cars in California? What if you owned a dealership and all of a sudden, you know, like, wait a second, all the money I invested, I'm going to be not allowed to sell them? What if you were somebody who builds cars in Detroit or South Carolina? I can't sell a gas car in California. They might as well start laying people off now. What if you sell one of the people making electric cars like Ford and cutting back because People aren't buying them without the subsidies, and we don't know anything about the batteries and how much it's going to cost to replace. We're getting into some dicey areas. What about if the reparations bill comes through? Who's paying that?
15: Well, me and my, and my neighbors. And it's not, not just me, Brian. I've called you before and complained about a lot of stuff out here, but my neighbors are going through the same issues. I mean, my water bill went from $50 a month to almost 120 in the last two wow. years. Just because of all this infrastructure problems, water problems, the utility problems, those are things we see every month. And not only that, people are talking about inflation. Okay, inflation might have slowed. Prices are not going back to where they were three years ago. So once I see this inflation, then I might be a little bit happier. But we're not seeing that out here or anywhere in the
2: United States. I I know. Let's see what happens. But the other thing is I worry about manipulation. Why would the Fed come out and just say, hey, next year we're probably going to have three rate cuts? Wow, thank you. I've never heard them say that ever. All we ever heard about is rate increases. We can't guarantee where the economy is going to go. But we, we have seen enough to have three rate cuts. Why? Because the economy was teetering again. And he had to go do a pledge. I never even heard of that. The market benefited. Everyone's four hundred one K. Evidently fifty-six percent of the American public is invested somehow in the stock market. So it's no longer talking to the elite. You're not talking about Andrew Carnegie. You're talking about people with four oh one K, some mutual funds with a pension. So you are affected by that. I just don't want to be manipulated. You know, you don't want to drill. You you want to you want to stop pipelines. Until all of a sudden you're about to lose an election, and then we see some drilling knowing it's going to stop, and we're going to go back to windmills. Thanks so much, John. Danny over in Michigan. Hey, Danny.
7: Yeah, Brian. How are you today?
2: Great. What's on your mind?
7: Good. Well, I wanted to thank you very much. I spent time as an in the audience in Holland Saturday, and oh wow, it was a great, it was really a good experience. And tell your audience it was educational, motivational and entertaining, which is unique. But the reason I'm calling is your conclusion was exactly what Americans need to hear. And your theme was uh, there's hope for all Americans during these tough times and don't lose your hope. And so I called to throw my two cents in on that because I have a different background for 60 years. I've been helping people and organizations develop a plan to uh, end up with a better future by controlling that and so on and uh from listening to you saturday i i got excited because i felt passion for helping create a fantastic future for all americans and the problem is americans are frustrated today because they don't know what they can do or how they can do it to fix our problems and uh, well, a lot's about- going right
2: i'll tell you what a lot's going right in holland i know a lot of people came long distances to go when i put up my hand say who's from holland it was actually only a third Uh, But it's such a beautiful city in western Michigan. Oh, my goodness. Grand Rapids, I think, is also awesome. And Michigan's going to get a lot of attention because you have that open Senate seat, number one. And I think you have a governor that Democrats consider uh, one of their leading candidates. So they're going to be seeing, you know, uh, we're going to see what kind of power your governor has. But I had a great time Saturday. What a great crowd. And to see everyone in Holland, Michigan, come out and drive hours to do it. Uh, You know, on a winter day, we had no idea the weather. People were saying the weather wasn't great. uh, But we had this huge crowd. And I truly appreciate you coming out and saying that it was our chance. If you ever see it, it's our chance to go through different points in American history, kind of using my books as uh, jumping off points. And I have Teddy and Booker T out right now. That's how I end it. But people need a perspective on what we've been through as a country in order not to overreact to what we're going through now. So many times people have said, this is the worst it's ever been. We've never been so divided. America's never been uh, uh, in such bad state. And I just wanted to give people more perspective. And the audience was fantastic. I do have an announcement, though, just to confirm uh, my next show is January 21st. It's in it's going to the Rialto Square Theater in Juliet, uh, Illinois. So I'm going to go back there. We're about half sold out already with uh, just about a month to go. So I hope to see. Uh, let's sell that thing out, too. Uh, and just go to com and get tickets. And with every ticket, you get a copy of Teddy and Booker T, as well as Fox Nation's going to be streaming this one. So you'll be able to, to uh, see it live. But to be in the studio and to be in actually in the theater is nothing better. If you show up, you get six months free. Now, how great is that? So all you do is pick out your phone, you look at the QR code if you're in the building, and you'll get that. BrianKillMe.com. Go grab tickets if you're in the area. And, and, you know, drive in, get a hotel, and make it a weekend.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: Her problem is, is that uh, she doesn't have a conservative record. She's an establishment candidate being funded by people like BlackRock, liberal donors in California. Wall Street, liberal Wall Street executives, um, and they're not funding her because she's going to be a change agent. They're funding her because they know she represents managed decline. She will not do what needs to be done to reverse the decline of this country. She also cannot beat Donald Trump in a one-on-one because she doesn't have support from conservatives.
2: I I don't think anybody can beat Donald Trump right now one-on-one unless something happens That Trump brings on himself, because neither candidate, Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, have been able to peel off any uh, any of the Trump base. But just to answer that, uh, Nikki Haley came back at everybody, because now they're running ads against her in the Trump camp and beyond. Here's a little of Nikki Haley uh, pushing back, cut 19.
3: And then I heard that Trump is going to go on the attack against me tomorrow. So stay tuned. We'll have fun with that one.
2: Right. And then she went after Joe Biden, cut 20.
3: I'll just say it. Biden's too old and Congress is the most exclusive nursing home in America.
2: All right. This is the fun part. I mean, this is as close to sports uh, as it gets. And that's what I love. I love the strategy. I love the messaging. The the then now it's even instead of just buying ads on radio and TV and buying some billboards. Now it's where you're going to be streaming. What show are you going to put together? Uh, what kind of ads are you going to put on the Internet? Uh, joining us now is a man who's sold 40 million copies of his last few books. He is one of the most successful authors in American history. He's got a brand-new book out that's top of the charts. Uh, his latest book is called The Little Liar. Uh, Mitch Album, who just joined me on Fox & Friends uh, before he leaves town and goes back to Detroit, is with me now. Mitch, welcome back.
16: Hey, good to talk to you, Brian. Thanks for having me on this morning. So I,
2: I was there when you first launched the book. Did you expect this much success?
16: Uh yeah, you know, hope for it, but you never know. Uh, it turns out that the topic is pretty timely, and I guess the story is providing people some hope as well, which is a good thing this time of year. You
2: try to but you try to write books and make people think, but uh, and you know, from you said as you brought up uh, Tuesdays with Maury. but do people also interpret that? And as you are the nation's therapist. And sometimes <laughs> when you go to when you go to airports or public situations, they say, "Mitch, I'm having a problem with my son. Uh, uh, I'm having something physically going on. I'm going in for cancer treatment." Do, do you yeah. find yourself in yeah. the middle of these situations?
16: Yeah, it's really funny you ask me that, Brian, because you and I started in sports. And I used to get, and I'm sure you did too, uh, the only questions I ever got in airports were who's going to win the Super Bowl, you know. And you could go up the escalator and say, you know, uh, Patriots and still be fine, you know. And then all of a sudden after Tuesdays with Maury, people would recognize me in the airport, but they would say, you know, my mother died of cancer and the last thing we did was read your book together. Can I talk to you about her? And you can't go up the escalator and say, Patriots, you know, you, you have to <laughs> stop and you have to you have to really listen. And I stopped and listened. Not ten or hundred or thousand, but tens of thousands of times over the last twenty six years to those stories, and it's it's really made me sensitive to to people's feelings, to their grief, to the things that they need in life. And it's probably not an accident that I never wrote another sports book again after Tuesdays with Maury.
2: Yeah. So let's go back to to this book in particular. You set us back in the Holocaust, and now uh, unbelievably. Uh, and you wish it didn't happen, but it did. October 7th happens, and once again, Jews are, are subjected to uh, great pains and they find themselves in the middle of a fight, I believe, fight for survival. As Hezbollah rockets them from the north and they're dealing with Hamas, still rocketing them from the south and still dealing with Iran, who's behind it all. But you're going back to a time in which uh, the, Jew- the Jews were slowly, subtly, and, um, and secretly – being eliminated, they had a plan yeah. to, uh, to to implement the Holocaust, and the way they right. did it is unlike Hamas, who taped everything and they wanted to take full credit for it. Uh, Germany was in the denial business under Hitler, and what they tried to do right. is convince, in your story, a young Jewish kid with great credibility of honesty and integrity, to convince a bunch of Jewish citizens to get on trains, who would be ultimately trained train to their concentration camp and for many death.
16: Exactly right. And you're so right to point out that the Nazis did it with deception. First, they did it by changing the language. You know, you want to lie, you change the language. And A Little Liar is is about truth and lying. In fact, the the voice of truth is the narrator of the book. It starts by saying you can trust the story you're about to hear. You can trust it because I'm the only thing in this world you can trust. I am truth. And it tells a story about how the Nazis perverted that truth. Um, to the point that the, 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 I don't know if you know this, Brian, but the law that gave Hitler power to do everything that he ultimately was able to do to Jews and other people was called the law to remedy the distress of the German people. It wasn't called the law to give Hitler power to do anything he wants. It was called the law to remedy the distress. To the, who's going to vote against that? You know, everybody wants to remedy their distress, right? And so you change the language, you can get power. You get that kind of power. And deceiving people, you go on. And that's what I created in the book, is all the deceptions and lies, including when when the Germans tried to, you know, this little innocent boy who's never told a lie in his life, to stand on the railroad tracks and tell people, fellow Jews, that it's safe to get on the trains. They're going to good jobs and, and good homes and everything and thinking that he's telling the truth because he's never told a lie. And why would he? He says this only to find out on the last train that his family uh, is being sent off with everybody else to Auschwitz and the concentration camps. And the book follows the the impact of that lie on him, his family, and everybody else for 40 years.
2: Wow. And then you talk about how that person tries to recover, the people that help him recover, and and uh, forgiveness. Obviously, only to a degree do you need forgiveness. He did it in a naive way. He had no idea that he was sending these people to his death, including his family. Uh, that was his uh, wake-up moment. And that that's the message the message you want people to take away Mitch, in which they'll you'll make them think afterwards would be about
16: well that truth is precious that lying is inevitable, but we need to be careful about you know what we believe and that ultimately we need to forgive one another and ultimately we have to find hope um, you know we can yeah I've been teased. Brian, you know, you get teased in our business. We get to, te- you know, you become a caricature, and I get I get teased by critics for being too hopeful. I, one one critic once dismissed me as the the king of hope. It was a majority because he trying to insult me, and I thought, well, that's not a terrible thing, and I'm right. okay with that, you know. And and I tried to show even in this book, even in the darkest moments of the the the, the book, which doesn't take place all during the Holocaust, just at the beginning. Uh, This boy's family is all in concentration camps and they're, you know, and they're being tortured every day and starved every day. But every night, the grandfather of the family pulls them all together and says, we must say one good thing that happened today. One good thing. And what could you possibly say in a concentration camp, a good thing that happened? So one says I had an extra spoonful of soup and one says my rotted tooth fell out today. And one says the guard that always beat me. Wasn't on today. I didn't get beaten, and and that desire to find one positive thing is the reason to go on to the next day. And it's not an accident that Viktor Frankl, you know, what the you know preeminent book on on the Holocaust, and Man's Search for Meaning, it's people who survived the concentration camps, were the people who believed that tomorrow there might be something good happening, even though today yeah. was terrible, and, and-, and the ones who didn't perished.
2: And finally, you just talk, you know uh, people always say, "Be grateful if you're grateful uh, for what you have that's a great foundation to start your day every day. obviously, hopefully, people are starting in a situation better than a concentration camp Mitch the other thing you're doing, if you don't mind me bringing up, is you have an orphanage in Haiti. All we hear about is the total chaos in Haiti when they had a government now they have literally have no government How right. do you get how do you protect those kids? How do you protect yourself when you go to visit them?"
16: Well, I go every month. I have been for the last 14 years. We have uh, 60-plus kids that we take care of uh, there at any given time, Uh, and right now we get picked up in an armored car that's bulletproof that we had to use our funds to pay for. We have bodyguards that ride with us. I used to have one security guard on on the door. Now we have 24. Ringing the property, you know, uh, trying to protect us from the gangs who have been known to not only go into people's houses and with guns and say, leave, this is my house now, but to scale the walls of orphanages and kill and, and, and rape the children and just, just, I mean, you wouldn't believe what's going on there. And the fact that we have not helped or intervened uh, a country that not only is only 700 miles off our shores, Brian, but is also, we occupied it. You know, you're a student of history, you know this. In the, in the early 20th century, we occupied Haiti for 15 years. We ran, we wrote their constitution. We kept all their money in our banks. So we do have a history there. And the people, the kids are, are wonderful and brilliant and faithful and hopeful and optimistic despite the worst of conditions. We have children we take in who have no, no names, no birth certificates. They were abandoned in places. We don't even know where they come from. And yet these, these kids thrive and they, they grow. They go to school. We have them in universities here on scholarships. Now, and, and and yet we have to beg for help and beg for attention and pray that somebody comes down there, tries to intervene in, in a country that is totally lawless and totally overrun by gangs. And we're, we're hopeful that maybe this Kenyan force may come from the They keep talking about it, but, you know, it still hasn't arrived yet. Um, and until then. I get reports on my phone every day of, of, the, of the security situation around our place. And, and, and Brian, if I showed you my phone, you'd, you'd faint. It's like dead body found in street. Um, people being shot. You know, avoid this area. Uh, you know, corpse found in, in pile of uh, you know of debris on this street. Don't go here. Or there. It's 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 frightening. And yet, you know, I have to go because we these are our children, and we have to take care of them.
2: And if people want to help you out, uh, Mitch, how could they do it?
16: HaveFaithHaiti.org dot have org, is okay. our website, and one hundred percent of any dollar we get goes right to the kids. We no administrative costs, um, and thank you for right. bringing it up, Brian. You're you got a good it. guy to even mention it.
2: All right, uh, he's sold forty million copies. Hopefully, make it forty million in one, uh, two, three, four, and five. Uh, Mitch, have I'm a great just trip back. And
16: Teddy and Booker T. That's my goal. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with you. Absolutely You're brilliant.
2: Thank you. That's
16: a really great book. I know you know. Let me tell your audience. I read it, uh, and it's excellent, and it's a, and it's a really timely book about about who we are in America, who we were, and and how we got here, and on many things, including race relations. So congratulations on a great book.
2: Right. Uh, thanks so much, Mitch. I appreciate it, uh, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Have a great holiday. Awesome.
16: You too. Thanks, Brian.
2: You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll go back. Um, We'll, we'll come back in just a moment. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. She's getting clobbered. Uh,
2: the sanctimonious, right. you know, he was... As much as I'm beating him by, I'm beating her by more because she hasn't even caught him. It's just words with her. I know her very well. Bird brain
3: means not very smart. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I think it's lame. He's kind of lost his luster. I mean, it's a a lame nickname. It doesn't even... Is it bird brain? Yeah, it doesn't even make sense. What does that even mean? Like, he used to be cool at that. He's not cool at that anymore. But look, I told my team, let's celebrate. Because he sees the numbers we see. He knows exactly what we're doing. We're coming. We're coming. Get ready.
2: Huh. Yeah, I'm never comfortable with people being dumb. He's dumb. He, she's dumb. We know she's not. Yeah, I, I, You know, this whole thing, too, is I guess when you fight against somebody who agrees with you 90 percent of the time. Do you know, I heard Liz Cheney last night on with Brett. She voted with Trump 93 percent of the time. I think it's actually higher. And that Brett was pointing out to him how that she was the one pushing back on the Mueller report and that how the Democrats wasted everybody's time. And this and the president never had anything to do with it. We all knew he had nothing to do with it. They were tied up until the last few weeks. Ambassador uh, Haley, I know if you want to beat somebody in your own party, and I watched Bush 43 and John McCain go for each other's throat, and we watched Bush 41 and Pat Buchanan uh, go at it pretty uh, pretty hard, and you watch Hillary Clinton go at it very hard with Barack Obama. But I, I, I always thought there was some, you would go after Obama, it was like, this guy's never done anything. All right, kind of true. Best-selling author, state senator, two years in the Senate, then you go after uh, you go after Donald Trump. You could say, well, chaos, all right, you could say that. Maybe it's not his fault, maybe it is. Chaos, absolutely, does whatever he wants, all right, unorthodox, yeah. But when Governor DeSantis says he's got to build a wall, and he didn't do it and drain the swamp, and he didn't do it. Everybody knows he went a long way to doing it. He can only do so much, and they saw all the fights in his court. When you go after Ron DeSantis and said he— When Donald Trump goes after Ron DeSantis, and said, well, he was shutting the whole state down in the beginning. Well, yeah, everybody, we shut the whole country down, Mr. President. You told us to. That's a no-go. And when DeSantis comes back and says that, you know, he wasn't able to do the things he said he was going to do and he spent too much. All right. Remember the spending? We all remember the spending. What happens is. They gave him two Omnibuses. He says, I'll sign this one. I'm not going to sign the other. And I think they were in the middle of some type of uh, budget crunch. He ends up signing it again. So he didn't come up with the Omnibus. He submitted a budget. They kicked it. They punted it. Then Congress came with a budget, didn't want it. And then they said, "We're going to just the government's going to shut down unless you sign this. And he did. Now, you could say as a leader, he should have gutted the Omnibus or so shut the country down or maybe been more hands-on and had Mark Short more hands-on. But I don't think that that... Saying you overspent, knowing that the last few billion dollars was because, for the first time in my in a lifetime and a half, we had to shut down a country, so that's what's significant about this when you look at the polls right now. Uh, The one they got to worry about, and I I just saw the story that Donald Trump says he'll be locked up by March 19th, and he'll have uh, over 1,400 delegates, and it'll be his to go, and then we'll see what happens. And it's a matter of sticking around to find out who the running mate is and what kind of role they'll play. So that's why I think, too, Governor Nikki Haley wants to stay close. One of the best jobs you can get in America would be the running mate of Donald Trump if he wins. Because regardless, you know he's done. And, you know, you'll be queued up with the Trump world behind you when he's done. Judging if you are effective and you do what Mike Pence did and thoroughly support everyone. Uh, So that's uh, that's really the the big difference what's going on. On the other side, there's no doubt about it. There's some panic on on Joe Biden's side. He's yelling at his staff that his numbers are down and they are down to 37 percent, according to the Monmouth poll. And a lot of people are saying that he's uh, too old, can't battle back, and he's got to change his messaging. What should the messaging be? Well, instead of saying everything's getting better when you don't feel it, say, I'm with you. Tell the people I hear you every step of the way. I know what you're dealing with. Give them an understanding. Don't tell them everything's better when it's not. As if they're you, when you start saying those things, that's a, that means you're talking to somebody else. Jim Messina weighed in. You know, he was uh, the 2012 campaign manager for Barack Obama. Cut 23.
12: Well, look. I think President Obama is doing exactly what he should be doing, which is reminding Democrats it's time to to focus on the election, wake up and uh, and realize that every election. You and I have talked about this in the past, Neil. Every election in America is close, and this thing is going to be close. And Democrats need to kind of wake up and start doing the things that they do, which is knocking on doors and talking to people. I think what he's saying to folks is it's time to it's time to focus. It's time to be concerned.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's what Barack Obama was saying. Know that about it, but he could have actually told it to Joe Biden. I don't really think they're really good friends. Go to com. i got a show coming up January 21st, inspirational, motivational, patriotic. Uh, it's going to be at Rialto Square Theater in Joliet, Illinois. I know you like to drive in the Midwest, so I hope to see you there in person. Uh, we want to sell that thing out quickly. Uh, don't forget to pick up Teddy and Booker T. com. Get it signed.